I was filming a video in a tree trunk the other day, just for kicks, which led me naturally to thoughts of anarchic ecstasy, and wondering if I could maintain this audio bauble in the event of an anarchic emergency. Let me tell you now unequivocally that I do plan to try. And in the event that we're all left filming agitprop in tree stumps or tree trunks, I hope that you and I can at least film ours together sometime. You find your way to my tree trunk and I'll find my way to yours, you know what I'm saying. In the meantime, here's some John Sales from 1980. It's Tuesday, the 7th of June, 2011. Happy almost Bloomsday. And it's... Miette's Bedtime Story Podcast At the Anarchist's Convention by John Sales Sophie calls to ask am I going to the Anarchist's Convention this year? The year before last I'm missing because Brickman, may he rest in peace, was on the committee and we were feuding. I think about the Soviet dissidents, but there was always something, so it's hard to say. Then last year he was just cooling in the grave, and it would have looked bad. There's Leo Gold, they would have said. Come to gloat over Brickman. So I tell Sophie, maybe, depending on my hip. Rainy days, it's torture. There isn't a position it doesn't throb. Rainy days and election nights. But Sophie won't hear. No, she's still got the iron, Sophie. Knows I won't be caught dead on the senior shuttle, so she arranges a cab and says, But Leo, don't you want to see me? Been using that one for over fifty years. Worked again. We used to have it at the New Yorker Hotel before the Korean and his Jesus children moved in. You see them on the streets peddling flowers, big smiles, cheeks glowing like Hitler youth. High on the opiate of the people. Used to be the New Yorker had its dopers, its musicians, its sad sacks and marginal types. We felt at home there. So this year, the committee books us with the chain that our religious friends from Utah own, their showpiece there on Central Park South which kicks off the annual difficulties. That's the bunch killed Joe Hill, comes the cry. Not to mention their monkey business with Howard Hughes and his will. And what about their stand on blacks and Indians? Personally, I think we should have it where we did the year the doormen were on strike, should rent the Union Hall in Brooklyn. But who listens to me? So right off the bat, there's Pink Staff working up a petition and Weiss organising a counter-committee. Always with the factions and splinter groups, those two. Whatever drove man to split the atom is the engine that rules their lives. Not divide and conquer, but divide and subdivide. First thing in the lobby, we've got Weiss passing a handout on Brigham Young and the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Leo Gold, I thought you were dead. It's a matter of days. You never learned to spell, Weiss. What spelling? I point to the handout. Who's this Norman? 
Norman hierarchy, Norman elders, and all this capitalization, it's cheap theatrics. Weiss has to put on his glasses. That's not spelling, he says. That's typing. Spelling I'm fine, but these new machines. My granddaughter bought an electric. It's nice she lets you use it. She doesn't know. I sneak it when she's at school. Next, there's the placard in the lobby. Welcome anarchists and the caricature of back union, complete with sizzling bomb in hand. That Gross can still hold a pen is such a miracle we have to indulge his alleged sense of humour every year. A malicious man, Gross, like all cartoonists, grinning, watching the hotel lackeys stew in their little brown uniforms, wondering is it a joke or not. Personally, I think it's in bad taste, the bomb-throwing bit. It's the enemy's job to ridicule, not ours. But who asks me? They've set us loose in something called the Elizabethan Room, and it's a sorry sight. A half-hundred old crackpots tiptoeing across the carpet, wondering how they got past the velvet ropes and into the exhibit. That old fascination with the enemy's lair. They fit like fresh kishki on a silk sheet. Some woman I don't know is pinning everyone with name tags. Immediately the ashtrays are full of them, pins bent by palsied fingers. Name tags at the anarchists' convention. Pearl is here, and Bill Kinney in a fog, and Lou Randolph and Pink Stuff and Fine and Diamond tottering around flashing his new starbots at everyone. Personally, wearing dentures, I would try to keep my mouth shut. But then I always did. Leo, we thought we'd lost you, they say. Not a word, it's two years. Thought you went just after Brickman rest his soul. So, you haven't quit yet, Leo. I tell them it's a matter of hours and look for Sophie. She's by Baker, the committee chairman this year. Always the committee chairman. He's the only one with such a streak of masochism. Sophie's by Baker, and there's no sign of her Mr. Gillis. There's another one makes the hip backed up. Two or three times I've seen the man since he set up housekeeping with Sophie, and every time I'm in pain. Like an allergy, only bone deep. It's not just he's CP from the word go. We all had our fling with the party, and they have their point of view. But Gillis is the sort that didn't hop off Joe Stalin's bandwagon till after it nosedived into the sewer. The deal with Berlin wasn't enough for Gillis, or the purges, no, nor any of the other tidbits that started coming out from reliable sources. Not till the party announced officially that Joe was off the sainted list did Gillis catch a whiff. And him with Sophie now. Maybe he's a good cook. She lights up when she sees me. That smile after all these years. That smile and my knees are water. She hasn't gone the Mother Jones route, Sophie. No shawls and spectacles. She's nobody's granny on a candy box. 
She's thin, a strong thin, not like diamond. And her eyes, they still stop your breath from across the room. Always there was such a crowd, such a crowd around Sophie. And always she made each one think he was at the head of the line. Leo, you came. I was afraid you'd be shy again. She hugs me and tells Baker that I'm like a brother. Sophie, who always rallied us after a beating, who bound our wounds, who built our pride back up from shambles and never faltered a step. The iron she had. In Portland, they're shaving her head, but no wig for Sophie. She wore it like a badge. And the fire, toe-to-toe with a fat Biloxi deputy, head-to-head with a Hoboken wharf boss, starting a near riot from her soapbox in Columbus Circle, but shaping it, turning it, stampeding all that anger and energy in the right direction. Still the iron, still the fire, and still it's, Leo, you're like a brother. Baker is smiling his little pained smile, looking for someone to apologise to. Blum is telling jokes. Vic Lewis has an aluminium walker after his stroke, and old Mrs Axelrod, who knew Emma Goldman from the garment workers, is dozing in her chair. Somebody must be in charge of bringing the old woman with her mind the way it is, because she never misses. She's our museum piece, our link to the past. Not that the rest of us qualify for the new left. Bud Odom is in one corner, trying to work up a sing-along. Fifteen years younger than most here, a celebrity, still with the denim open at the chest and the Greek sailor cap. The voice is shot, though. With Harriet Foote and old Lieber joining, they sound like... The look for the union label folks on television. Determined, but slightly off-key. The younger kids aren't so big on Bud anymore, and the Hootenanny generation is grown with other fish to fry. Kids, the room is crawling with little Barnard girls and their tape recorders, pestering people for oral history. A pair camp by Mrs Axelrod, clicking on whenever she starts awake and mutters some Yiddish. Sophie, who speaks says she's raving about the harness eyes breaking and shackles bouncing on the floor, some shirt factory tangle in her mind. Gems, they think they're getting. Oral history gems. There are starting to be Rebecca's again, the little Barnard girls, and Sarah's and Esther's, after decades of Carol, Sally, Debbie. The one who tapes me is a Rizelle, which was my mother's name. We're trying to preserve it, she says with a sweet smile for an old man. What, Yiddish? I don't speak. No, she says. Anarchism. The memories of anarchism. Now that it's served its dialectical purpose. You're a determinist? She gives me a look. They think we never opened a book. I don't tell her I've written a few. It wouldn't make an impression. If it isn't on tape or film, it doesn't register. Put my name in the computer, you'll draw a blank. Rezel, I say, 
That's a pretty name. I learned it from an exchange student. I used to be Jody. Dinner is called, and there's confusion. There's jostling. Everyone wants near the platform. The ears aren't what they used to be. There is a seating plan, with place cards set out, but nobody looks. Place cards at the anarchists' convention. I managed to squeeze in next to Sophie. First on the agenda is fruit cup. Then speeches. Then dinner. Then more speeches. Carmen Markovici wants us to go get our own fruit cups. It makes her uneasy, she says, being waited on. People want, they should get up and get it themselves. A couple minutes of mumble-grumble, then someone points out that we'd be putting the two hotel lackeys in charge of the meal out of a job. It's agreed. They'll serve. You could always reason with Carmen. Then Harriet Foote questions the grapes in the fruit cup. The boycott is over, we tell her. Grapes are fine. In fact, grapes were always fine. It was the labour situation that was no good, not the fruit. Well, I'm not eating mine, she says, blood pressure climbing toward the danger point. It would be disloyal. The wrath of the people. That's what Brickman used to call it in his articles, in his harangues, in his three-hour walking diatribes. Harriet still has it, and Carmen and Weiss and Sophie and Bill Kinney on his clear days. And Brickman had it to the end. It's a wonderful quality, but when you're over seventy and haven't eaten since breakfast, it has its drawbacks. Baker speaks first, apologising for the sight and the hour and the weather and the Hundred Years' War. He congratulates the long travellers. Odom from L.A., Kinney from Montana, Papas from Chicago, Mr. Axelrod all the way from Yonkers. He apologises that our next scheduled speaker, Mikey Dolan, won't be with us. He apologises for not having time to prepare a eulogy, but it was so sudden. More mumble-grumble, this being the first we've heard about Mikey. Sophia's crying. But she's not the sort you offer your shoulder to or reach for the Kleenex. If steel had tears, Brickman used to say. They had their battles, Brickman and Sophie, those two years together, thirty-seven and thirty-eight. Neither of them known as a compromiser, both with healthy throwing arms. Once a month there's a knock and it's Sophie come to borrow some more plates. I worked for money at the movie house. I always had plates. The worst was when you wouldn't see either of them for a week. Phil Rapf was living below them then, and you'd see him in Washington Square, eight o'clock in the morning. Phil, who'd sleep through the revolution itself if it came before noon. I can't take it, he'd say. They're at it already. In the morning, in the noontime, at night. At least when they're fighting, the plaster doesn't fall. Less than two years it lasted, but of all of them, before and after, it was Brickman left his mark on her. That hurts. Bud Odom is up next, his Wisconsin accent creeping toward Oklahoma, twanging on about 
good, red-blooded American men and women. And I got a terrible feeling he's going to break into the Ballad of Bob La Follette when war breaks out at the far end of the table. In the initial shuffle, Ali Zaitz was sitting down next to Fritz Groh, and it's fifteen minutes before the shock of recognition. Ali has lost all his hair from the X-ray treatments, and Fritz never had any. More than ever they're looking like twins. You, says Ali, you from the dock workers. And you from that yellow rag. They haven't put you away from civilised people. They let you in here? You, as an anarchist? In the fullest definition of the word, which you wouldn't know. What was that colouring book you wrote for? At the tops of their voices, in the manner of old lefties. What, old? In the manner we've always had. Damn the decibels and full speed ahead. Baker would apologise, but he's not near enough to the microphone. And Bub Odom is just laughing. There's still something genuine about the boy, even if he does get all weepy when you mention Eleanor Roosevelt. Who let this crank in here? We've been infiltrated. Point of order! Point of order! What Ali is thinking with point of order, I don't know. But the lady from the name tags gets them separated, gives each a Barnard girl to record their spewings about the other. Something Fritz said at a meeting, something Ali wrote about it centuries ago. We don't forget. Bud gets going again, and it seems that last year they weren't prepared with Brickman's eulogy, so Bud will do the honours now. I feel eyes swivelling. A little muttered chorus of Leo, Leo, Leo goes through the room. Sophie knew, of course, and conned me into what she thought would be good for me. Once again. First, Bud goes into what a fighter Brickman was. Tells how he took on Union City, New Jersey single-handed. About the time he organised an entire truckload of scabs with one speech, turning them right around under the company's nose. He can still rouse an audience, but even with the pipes gone, and soon they're popping up around the table with memories. Little Pappas, who he never thought would survive the beating, he took one mayday scuffle. Little one-eyed, broken-nosed Pappas stands and tells of Brickman saving the mimeograph machine when they burned our office on 27th Street. And Sam Carnes, ghost pale, ghost pale, like the year in prison bleached even his blood, is standing, shaky with the word on Brinkman's last days. Tubes running out of him, fluids dripping into him. Still Brickman agitates with the hospital orderlies, organises with the cleaning staff. Then Sophie takes the floor, talking about spirit, how Brickman had it, how Brickman was it. Spirit of our cause, more spirit sometimes than judgment. And again I feel the eyes, hear the Leo, Leo, Leo. And there I am on my feet. We had our troubles, I say, Brickman and I, but always I knew his heart was in the right place. Applause, 
tears, and I sit down. It's a sentimental moment. Of course, it isn't true. If Brickman had a heart, it was a well-kept secret. He was a machine. An express train flying the black flag. But it's a sentimental moment. The words come out. Everybody is making nice, then. The old friendly juice is flowing, and Baker has to bring up business. A master of tact. A genius of timing. A vote. Do elect next year's committee before dinner or after. Why spoil dinner, says one cap. Nobody will be left awake after, says the other. Let's get it out of the way. They always started small, the rifts. A title, a phrase, a point of procedure. The Chicago fire began with a spark. It pulls the scab off, the old animosities, the bickerings come back to the surface. One whole section of the table splits off into a violent debate over the merits of syndicalism. Another forms a faction for elections during dinner. Weiss wrestles Baker for the microphone and Sophie shakes her head sadly. Why, why, why? Always they argue, she says. Always they fight. I could answer. I devoted half of one of my studies to it. But who asks? While the argument heats, another little girl comes over with used to be Jody. She says you're Leo Gold. I confess. The Leo Gold? There's another. I read Anarchism and the Will to Love. My one turkey, and she's read it. So, you're the one. I didn't realise you were still alive. It's a matter of seconds. I'm feeling low. Veins are standing out in temples. Old hearts straining. Distemper epidemic. And the sound, familiar but with a new, futile edge. I've never been detached enough to recognise the sound so exactly before. It's a raw-throated sound, a grating, insistent sound. A sound born out of all the insults swallowed, the battles lost, out of all the smothered dreams and desires. Three thousand collective years of frustration in the room, turning inward, a cancer of frustration. It's the sound of parents brawling with each other because they can't feed their kids. The sound of prisoners preying on each other because the guards are out of reach. The sound of a terribly deep despair. No quiet desperation for us now while we have a voice left. Over an hour it lasts, the sniping, the shouting, the accusations and countercharges. I want to eat. I want to go home. I want to cry. And then the hotel manager walks in. Brown blazer, $20 haircut, and a smile from here to the Odessa steps. A huddle on the platform. Baker and Mr. Manager bowing and scraping at each other. 
Bud Odom looking grim, Weiss turning colours. Sophie and I go up, followed by half the congregation. Nobody trusts to hear it second-hand. I can sense the sweat breaking under the blazer when he sees us coming, toothless, gnarled, suspicious by habit, ringing around him the anarchists' convention. A terrible mistake, he says. All my fault, he says. I'm awfully sorry, he says, but you'll have to move. It seems the Rotary Club from Sioux Falls had booked this room before us. Someone misread the calendar. They're out in the lobby, eyeballing Bakunin, impatient, full of gin and boosterism. We have a nice room, a smaller room, coos the manager. We can set you up there in a jiffy. Much less drafty than this room, I'm sure the older folks would feel more comfortable. I think it stinks, said Rosenthal, every year the committed treasurer. We paid cash. This room is ours. Rosenthal doesn't believe in cheques. The less the Wall Street boys handle your money, he says, the cleaner it is. Who better to be a treasurer than a man who thinks gold is filth? That must be it, says Sophie to the manager. You've got your cash from us. Money in the bank. You don't have to worry. The Rotary, they can cancel a cheque, so you're scared. And maybe there's a little extra on the side they give you, a little folding green to clear out the riffraff. Sophie has him blushing, but he's going to the wire anyhow, like Frick in the homestead strike. Shot, stomped and stabbed by Alexander Berkman. They patch him up and he finishes his day at the office. A gold star from Carnegie. Capitalism's finest hour. You'll have to move, says the manager, dreams of corporate glory in his eyes, the smile hanging on to his face by its fingernails. It's the only way. Never, says Weiss. Out of the question, says Sophie. Fuck off, says Pappas. Pappas saw his father lynched. Pappas did three hard ones in Leavenworth. Pappas lost an eye, a lung, and his profile to a mob in Chicago. He says it with conviction. Pardon? A note of warning from Mr. Manager. He said to fuck off, says Fritz Groh. You heard him, echoes Ali Zaitz. If you people won't cooperate, huffs the manager, condescension rolling down like a thick mist, I'll have to call in the police. It zings through the room like the twinge of a single nerve. Police? They're sending the police, cries Pinkstaff. Go limp, cries Vic Lewis, knuckles white with excitement on his walker. Make them drag us out. Mind the shuttles, mind the shuttles, cries old Mrs. Axelrod in Yiddish, sitting straight up in her chair. Alizette is on the phone to a newspaper friend. The Barnard girls are taping everything in sight. Sophie is organising us into squads, and only Baker holding Weiss bodily allows Mr. Manager to escape the room in one piece. We're the Anarchists' Convention. Nobody bickers. 
Nobody stalls or debates or splinters. We manage to turn the long table around by the door as a kind of barricade, stack the chairs together in a second line of defence, and create Mrs Axelrod back out of harm's way. I stay close by Sophie, and once, lugging the table, she turns and gives me that smile. Like a shot of adrenaline. I feel fifty again. Sophie. Sophie, it was always so good just to be at your side. And when the manager returns with his two befuddled street cops to find us standing together, arms linked, the lame held up out of their wheelchairs, the deaf joining from memory as Bud Odom leads us in, we shall not be moved, my hand in Sophie's, sweaty palmed at her touch like the old days. I look at him in his brown blazer and I think, Brickman, I think. My God, if Brickman was here, we'd show this bastard the wrath of the people.'